Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my new friend, Sue. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Well, can you uh, just tell us about yourself, your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the ministry products the Lord has has you involved in right now? Oh, sure. Um, I've been a biblical counselor for about 30 years. I served a lot of that time um, as the founder and executive director of Biblical Counseling Ministries in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, where I worked with five central Wisconsin churches as a resource for training and consultation in biblical counseling. I have an MA in biblical counseling. I'm ACBC certified. I'm on the council board of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and I love to write. I have authored two books and several articles and booklets like the one we're going to talk about today. In Late 2013, as a matter of fact, it was between Christmas and New Year's, my husband Jim had a debilitating stroke. So I had to step back from biblical counseling ministries. Um, We have two married daughters and six grandchildren, and this stroke affected us a great deal. Um, Jim suffered for three years, and then the Lord took him home at Christmas time in 2016. And two years later, I met and married Darren Delaney, who is a widower from my current church. Um, I've retired now from formal ministry, but of course, who retires from ministry, really? Um, I continue to write and teach and speak about biblical counseling. And I've taken an active role in training and mentoring counselors in my church. I do book reviews and blogs for the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and I've done some other writing about our experience with Jim Stroke, and and that's other Shepherd Press Lifeline books that perhaps we'll talk about later. I'm also part of the organizing committee for a brand new ministry in Wisconsin. It's called the Women's Biblical Counseling Roundtable, the WBCR. Um, And our purpose is to encourage female counselors in our state to get to know each other in fellowship and training as well. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, Well, then if you're on the board of the Biblical Counseling uh, Coalition, then we definitely have many other friends. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's great. That's great. Can you uh, tell us a a little bit about your book, Help, I Feel Ashamed? You know, why you wrote it, which I know was written in 2014. And, and, you know, maybe a little bit about how you think it's being received or if you've got any encouraging feedback on it or anything like that. Sure. Um, Help I Feel Ashamed addresses shame, and that's a theme that is really common among the women that I've counseled over the years. I wanted to offer people something concise and easy to understand with some illustrations that they could adapt for their own situation. Uh, Something that a friend or another counselor could hand somebody to read without overwhelming them with a big book. Um, something that that would identify, um, that the person could identify with that could build a gospel perspective on the topic, which is often left out in literature. Um, and that is that the two types of shame are universally experienced and that Christ provides the answers to both types of shame, shame in a robust way. Um, My booklet introduces two women as illustrations, Shannon, who has been rebellious and has come back to the Lord, uh, puts her faith in Christ, makes really good biblical changes in her life. And yet, even after all that, she still struggles with shameful feelings, feelings of regret and self-condemnation. Gwen is the other example. She's a married woman with a family and in kind of a traditional setting, but she's ashamed of of her physical appearance. 
She's overweight and she feels really badly about herself because of that. And she also struggles with doubt because her husband is very critical of her and her um, co-workers are disrespectful of her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's um, really, I, I really like this, this booklet, uh, mini book, it, because I, I think that shame you know, what, what do we want to do? Right. We want to cover over our, our sin. Mm -hmm. And that's really what shame is. It's, it's the, we want to cover over and we don't want to deal with our sin, but we know what Jesus did is the opposite of, of that. He, you know, covers over our sin. That's what atonement is. And um, it's, it's so, it's so important that, you know, I, I can't, you, we both counsel people and uh, come alongside people and, you know, this is probably one of the biggest issues that that I think people don't really understand um, or many Christians understand. It's like, yeah, you have you have the one in Christ who fully forgives you and loves you. And if you'll turn from, you know, you're believing those lies really yes. you know, about who you're not and start understanding who you are, mm -hmm. you know, you the shame will dissipate. It's like. Yeah, the when the sun comes out, what does the fog have to do? It, it dissipates, and it's the same kind of same kind of thing. So I think this book is absolutely uh, book mini book is so so important because that's what it does. It it helps dissipate the the fog and helps the sunshine of the gospel. You know, don't break that analogy. You know, I'm, I'm go <laughs> I'm trying to go with it a little bit here to to make a point, but you know. That's, that's, that's really good. Well, Ed Welch describes shame as a feeling of being exposed and vulnerable and in desperate need of covering or protection. And of course, Christ's blood does that for us. And Christ's example, as we'll talk about in a minute, um, his example of humility helps us to be covered. We see that we are covered by him and protected. Well, you, you talked about just a minute ago about the, the two sources of shame. What, what are those? Well, it is important to realize there are two kinds of shame. It's not one big category. Um, the examples of Shannon and Gwen um, include both of those categories of shame. I call one sin shame and the other provoked shame. Um, sin shame is based on true guilt. Um, which scripture says we all have, right? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So we're all guilty of sin. And we make life about ourselves and we fail to love others sacrificially um, as Christ did. We excuse ourselves. We blame other people. Uh, we explain away our wrongdoing. We speak harshly. We give vent to our feelings we become jealous. We fail to. I mean, there's thousands of ways that we can sin. And since the wages of sin is death, when we sin, we may feel the weight of that sentence on ourselves. And that's what I call sin shame. Some people feel it more than others. And those who have a seared conscience may not feel ashamed because of their sin they get to that point, um, even though their guilt is real and they are accountable for it. But no matter how much we may feel or not feel it, guilt is there because sin shame is real. Now, provoked shame is the other thing that's heaped on us by other people um, being bullied or unfriended or criticized or condemned abused or blamed or hated or lied to, rejected. And today, more so than I think any time in history, ridicule by other people for failing to meet society's standards for beauty or for social status. The list goes on and on and on, provokes shame. It's all about what other people do that affects our emotional well-being when we accept their assessment or when we accept their standard more than we accept God's. Oh, that's that's so good. I can think of guys that I that I'm talking to right now and they're struggling with sexual sin, especially and and just, you know, it's it's tragic. And and I part of my story is coming out of that, you know, um being enslaved mm -hmm. to sexual sin now. Um I uh, it's been 15 years coming out of it for me now by God's grace and God's grace alone. But, you know, it, it's it's tragic because there's so many guys that are living in this perpetual state of of shame. And 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to, like we talked about just a second ago, they're trying to cover over their their guilt or they feel so guilty that they can't even, you know, they don't know forgiveness. And I'm just like, dude, let's mm-hmm. talk about, let's talk about Calvary. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the fact that this is the worst, you know, death that Jesus could have suffered in, in, the, in the known world, mm-hmm. you know, and think about that. He paid that for you just being yes. freshly shocked. I really do try to shock people, kind of shock their senses in a way, because once they understand in a, in a, in a good way, in a biblical and in a, and in a good way, because, you know, a lot of these guys, they've heard it over, they've heard this over and over again, but what they mm-hmm. haven't heard it, they need to hear again is this is the, the wrath bearing son of God and son of man who paid that penalty for you. And, mm-hmm. and seeing it that way, it, that's the basis for our forgiveness. That's mm-hmm. the basis for our hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that's that's really helpful. Uh, it's been helpful for a lot of the guys that I talk to because, you know, they, they're they struggling and they're hurting and they don't understand the, the forgiveness that they even have. You know, you mm-hmm. ask them to articulate, you know, theologically forgiveness of sins. They can do that in their sleep, but they don't know it in their, they don't know it in their experience mm-hmm. and um it's tragic i mean there's so mm-hmm. i can't even tell you how many guys there are most of the guys that i talk to are this way and it's 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 sad it's heartbreaking you know i i know what it's like myself you know when god opened my eyes to 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 this i realized here i am i'm a christian leader and i'm living for dave jenkins yeah self was, self was on the throne and then the holy spirit comes along and Jesus and his thoughts and boom, hit me up over the head. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then I was like, okay, I'm now I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, gave me the gift of real, real repentance. And that's, that's, that's what you have to, that's what people that are struggling with sexual sin or shame have to really get, yeah. you know, there's really forgiveness you know, yeah. for, for hurt, for pain. Um, and it's beautiful. It's, yeah. But you have to believe it. Yeah. Well, that's sin. Shame tells us the truth. And that's what they're feeling is yeah. this sin shame. Um, I'm kind of getting ahead of you on, on the questions here, but, but okay. honestly, sin shame says I'm bad because of what I've done. And our, our conscience is going to tell us that God gave us our conscience. But if we won't admit it, if we reject God's judgment about our sin, if we deny that he's correct when he says that I am a sinner, then we can't be right with him and, and our spirit is going to be troubled. It's just going to be. So our sin shame rightly accuses us of wrongdoing, and it tells us that we need a savior. We don't have enough in ourselves to deal with it. We can't get better by ourselves. We need a savior. Yeah, yeah it's like going to the court, and and the and the guy, you know, they do the the this, the the whole thing, you know, the defendant and the prosecution, and and then they find the you know the current the person on trial. They find them guilty. <clears throat> That's us. You know, legally, we're legally we're declared sinners at the the moment of birth, and we need the judge. That's what's so beautiful about justification is we're legally declared not guilty before God. Yes, we are, and we have to get a grasp on that in order for it functionally to make a difference in our lives. We can live with shame even though we're justified because we haven't accepted the fact that God has forgiven us and that we are set free in Christ and we can follow him. And he he living through us and being reflected in us overcomes shame. It despises shame and replaces it with humility. And that's the that's the ticket. Amen. Well, how can shame contribute to our accepting and believing lies and rejecting truth? Well, as I said, um, sin shame tells us the truth. So we need to accept the fact that we are sinners. Um, Provoked shame, on the other hand, tells us a lie. And we have to recognize that this is a lie. I'm bad because of what other people did or have done to me, um, which Proverbs 29, 25 calls the fear of man. Um, Provoked shame should be rejected. It, It ensnares us. What we need to remember is that the sins of other people don't condemn us before God. But if we believe that lie that I'm bad because of how others think about me or what they do to me or um, what they say about me, then we lose hope. 
and we become frustrated and confused and disheartened and we want to withdraw and run away because we can't control what other people do or say or think. So the problem is that we tend to approach these two types of shame backwards. And that's where most of us get stuck. In other words, sin shame should be believed because it's true. And provoked shame should be rejected because it's false. And we tend to do the opposite. We tend to push away sin shame. We don't want to admit that we are sinners. We want to excuse or deny. A lot of times we just blame shift. It's not our fault. It's somebody else's fault. So then we don't go to Christ for forgiveness and the cleansing that we really need. And on the other hand, we tend to accept the lies of provoked shame. We, we take the opinions of other people to heart, not what God says we are, but what other people say we are. And then we loathe ourselves because of our assessments, uh, of the assessments of other people. And we, ex- we accept responsibility for what other people say about us or what other people assess about us. And we allow their opinions and even their cruelty. You talked about um, abuse and that cruelty can control us too. And that's a major problem. I, I see major problems with social media in this area, especially because it's so cold that people just gang up on one another through social media. Um, and then too, provoked shame can be a, a terrible mind game where we guess what other people are thinking about us. And then we react to what we think they're thinking about us. And it's just a vicious cycle. There's no redemption there. There's no mercy at all. No, that's, that's really, really good. You know, I think, I think one thing to get into is, you know, when, when you're talking to people about, about this, you you got to start with, you know, what is the gospel? Tell them, tell them, you know, and then, and then when they give you the the right answer, even if it's a Jesus died and my Jesus died and he rose again, you know, we're not, we're not looking for, you know, we're talking about, you know, justification and adoption and all the imputation mm-hmm. and all these things. We're, we're not asking people to be able to explain those things. And, you know, we, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. Now, if they can, that's great because it helps us to be able to explain these things, but just be asking questions like, what is the gospel? What is the forgiveness of sins? And then, and then, you know, you can use that, their answer later, like they're mm-hmm. giving you the, you're asking the question because you want to come back and give them the hope that they have. But then, the, then, you know, be listening as they're sharing about their hurt and their pain and they're going to give you ample opportunity. You just have to pull it out of them. Like, I think the best thing to, to, to say is Luke 645, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They're mm-hmm. going to give you, if you're asking questions, they're going to give you the the things that that you need to say to them to minister to, to them if you're asking good questions. And so when I, when I'm doing, as I'm doing this, I'm, I'll often write down notes. And then when they're done sharing, I'll go back and I'll, and I'll say, Hey, what I heard you say was this about whatever this is that you're telling me about. Mm -hmm. Um, Am I getting this? Am I getting this right? Am I tracking with you? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll be like, well, here's the, here's the thing then. Okay. This, whatever this is, da, 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 what you told me is, is that you're hiding in this area or you're, you don't really understand forgiveness in this area or wh- whatever it is. And they're like, mm-hmm. what? I'm like, and here's why, because you told it, you said this, and it just kind of opens up their open up opens up their eyes. And then what I'll do is I'll hit them back with their answer. Um, and what that what that does is it gets them to see, boom, like I already know the answer, but I'm not seeing, I can't see it in that answer in this this situation. And I um, mm-hmm. um like I have a one guy that uh, right now he's he's really struggling with forgiveness and hurt. And I told him he shared about all his hurt. I'm not going to say what that was or whatever, but just that, you know, doing this with him helped him to really understand and to see, Hey, I'm stuffing my feelings down. I'm stuffing my pain down and I need to let it out. And he's, you know, it's kind of like a release valve. Once you let the pain, once you stop stuffing, you know, you got, you realize, Holy cow, I got a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of hurt that I've been suppressing. And that's where he's at. But this is where forgiveness comes in because we can just apply the the medicine over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and uh, because it gets to the it gets to the root, it gets to the to the to the pain. Like you're talking about, it's so helpful. There's there's so much pain in so much people like myself that 
experienced real abuse, emotional and mental yes. abuse in my childhood. And, you know, I had to understand the part of, for me, the pornography was covering over that. Um, and, and it's a, and it's a drug, it, it's a drug, but getting to the root of it was, I can't cover over it because not only, not only, not only does God know it, but he sees it and he mm -hmm. sees what I'm doing to cover over the, to the, the, the trying to apply the, the, the wrong medicine to, to, to not deal with, to shove it back and shove it back and shoving it back. Right. We know it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't do any good. I think a lot of times we don't go to the Lord because we see him as the big meanie in the sky with a hammer. You know, he's ready to whack us when we sin. And that's really not who he is. I think the Psalms are a wonderful way of, of getting people to express themselves. Um, usually, if you go into the Psalms, you can find one that really speaks to what you're dealing with. And the Lord, it just shows how relevant the Lord is and how much he loves us, that he would give us that example that's so specific to us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lament is, is like you're talking about in the Psalms. Lament is such a good, good thing. And it's not a... It's, mm -hmm. it's God's way of, it's, it's his way of showing us even his love and his grace, right? His, his mercy. Yes. His mercy his the has said of God, the covenant faithfulness of God and the love and kindness of God. Mm -hmm. It's, it's wonderful. You know, like when you're sad, when you're depressed, when you're whatever, um, you can cry out to the Lord and, you know, lament helps us understand that it's okay to even ask questions of God. Mm -hmm. uh, some people are like, well, I can't ask God a question. I'm like, actually you can yes, <laughs> you ask, read the, read the Psalms. That's, that's really good. Really you good. can ask him all the hard questions. And he's got, he he's got the answers to those hard questions. <laughs> it doesn't always tell us what they are, but <laughs> yeah, yes. that's right. That's right. <laughs> Right. I mean, Job, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who are you? Who are you to question me? Oh, man. Ooh, that puts you in your place in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, how does Jesus counteract guilt by grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone? Well, I think it's a little easier to recognize how Jesus atones for sin shame than it is to see how he atones for provoked shame. But we need him for both. Sin shame tells us about our true guilt, which is why Jesus came to earth, why he had to come to earth. We, we couldn't atone for ourselves. So since we can't unsin, we can't do it. We needed him um, to pay the penalty for our sin um, by dying on the cross in our place. So he, he took that sentence on himself for our true guilt, our true sin shame. But we can only receive his forgiveness by humbly admitting that we've sinned. And that's the hard part, I think, admitting that, yeah, it's really true. Um, and then placing our faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice rather than trying to just do better. So he bore our condemnation. And so when we put our faith in him, he removes the guilt. He doesn't, he doesn't just cover it over. He removes it. Yes. He completely forgives us. Um, scripture says he takes it away as far as the east is from the west. Like he buries it in the deepest sea. So he he answers sin shame by paying for our sin, atonement, right? And we can't atone ourselves, although we try to. Um, and also by pr propitiation. In other words, he satisfies the wrath of God against us. So now when God sees us, it's not as a criminal under a judge. It's as a child with a father who walks with us. And then he buys us back. So we're part, we're redeemed. We're brought into his family. Now we're a family member. We're loved dearly by the father. And that just breaks the power of sin shame. So that condemnation is gone. It's been removed, but this side of heaven, we do continue to sin. We do continue to have faults and flaws and make all kinds of blunders and outright willful sin too. But now, of course, God wants us to follow him. So he wants us to become more and more like Christ in our journey on this earth. So in his mercy, God gives us sin shame now as believers to show us when we're off track and call us to turn and, and follow Christ again, to do it better. Um, sin shame is appropriately addressed first by receiving Christ's forgiving, forgiveness and acknowledging 
that he has forgiven us, and then responding to that reality by following him the way scripture says to follow him, not in our own wisdom, but in his. And because there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1 and Romans 10, 11 says that no one who receives Christ will ever be rejected by God. So sin shame reminds us of our need of him, and it shows us how to follow him more closely. It's part of the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. And, and then Jesus also answers provoked shame um, by rejecting it in favor of his true identity and his true purpose. Um, humbly accepting what God the Father gave for him to do, um, he didn't believe those who mistreated him. He he didn't believe the false accusations. He didn't take them to heart. They kind of bounced off of him. Um, he didn't he didn't react to abuse with sinful responses. He didn't um, he didn't believe those who misunderstood him and condemned him. He didn't listen to us. He didn't listen to his enemies. Instead, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, well, 12, 2 actually, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So he rejected rejection and he embraced God's purpose for him, knowing his identity. His identity is the son of God sent to atone for our sins. And he didn't let the opinions of humanity change that. And we're supposed to do the same. The gospel calls us to do the same thing. Uh, Humble acceptance of our true identity in God as a member of his family so that shame is declawed just as it was for Christ. Mm. Yeah. As you're, as you're sharing, I'm remembering, you know, when, when I first shared about my enslavement to pornography, I wasn't ready to receive the help that I, that I needed, but mm-hmm. I, I did, I did recognize that this pastor had asked me, Hey, you should come be an intern at my church. Cause I was serving in campus ministry at the time and um, walked out the door, didn't even make it out the door of the, 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 the cafeteria and said, I'm, I'm enslaved or I'm addicted to pornography. And I didn't say it's slave, but it's enslavement. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, well, you're going to have to quit being in campus ministry, which I thought that's oh. weird. That's weird. But I realized later it was a kindness. And then when in, in 2004, this was 2001, I think it was. And then it took me a few years to recognize this. But then I recognized in 2004, really, um, I was really being selfish. Mm. You know, I was feeding all of these things, all these these things, the abuse that, that I had experienced in my childhood and other things. It was all it was all just you know, it was all just something to cover over the, the things that I had mm-hmm. gone through. And uh, really, it was selfish. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I was thinking at that time was it's just selfish. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me um, in that in that moment. And actually, the, this is where the beautiful part of it is, is mm-hmm. I was not only forgiven, but I also prayed and said, Lord, help me to be the man you want me to be. And then six months later, I met my wife. Oh. <laughs> So even out of even out of my, you know, repentance at that time, um, you know, God was at work and he was preparing my wife for me and me for my wife. And uh, even even there, it's uh, the first few years we had to realize I'm still being selfish. (laughs) Uh, Here I am. I'm I'm in my office. I remember one one specific moment. Here I am. I'm in my office. And the first few years, we fought like cats and dogs. And I'm thinking, how am I doing leading? And how am I doing leading my wife? Very well. Mm-hmm. And it got hot again. I realized I'm being selfish again. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then then now I tell guys that what happened next was a good lesson for for every guy for any any couple in that leading in forgiveness means do you have to specifically own your yes thing not just and that's what your wife wants guys she doesn't want to <laughs> she doesn't want to hear like you know I think I did this wrong that's that's not what your wife wants to hear uh, she wants to in fact I've had some guys say no she doesn't really want me to specifically pause like okay when we're done with this session you're getting on the phone and you're going to ask your <laughs> wife because I'm just going to tell you she wants you to specifically own up to and, and that's going to take some time for the wife to you know if you've never done that it's going to take some time guys for your wife to know to understand what's what's really happening you know, I know it was true for my wife. It took her a little bit of time. Of course, 
this is now over a decade ago for us. And so now she knows like, and she does it too. Like we both do it with each other and, and it works, you know, um, you know, and also helps us to overlook things. You mm-hmm. know? That doesn't mean that you not address it, but it means that, you know what, you maybe even overlook the, the slight comment, you know, that you knew was, was hurtful. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you know, later, you know, this person, they're going to come back, you know, probably apologize or, or it's just not even something that needs to be brought up. And just knowing, knowing when to do that and when not, I think is, is really, is really important, you know, because who among us, like you, you t- talked about William, you kind of use William Carey's, you know, famous line, you know, there's a no fishing sign up and, and we <laughs> like to go, we like to go on that fishing expedition, but you know, we, if we, if we want to, if, if we're going to be, if we're forgiven, then there is a no fishing expedition, you know, not only for us in relation to God, but also, especially with our spouse. And if we go do that fishing expedition, you know, where we throw our spouse's sin in their face, Ooh, that's, uh, that's pretty, Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty bad. I mean, putting it mildly. uh, Right. Well, that's why God says, to get the log out of our own eye before we go after a splinter in somebody else's eye. Yeah, Flavel, John Flavel was a was a great Puritan. He's not as well known, but he was a contemporary of like Owen, and and he said, you know, um, it's easier to cry somebody else a thousand sins of somebody else than one of my own, and that's oh yes, basically yeah. the same thing. But uh-huh. <laughs> a pretty convicting thought, you know. It's it's it really is, and they. God does say he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's what he wants. He wants us to come to him and say, I'm guilty of this. I own it and help me, Jesus. I need you. I can't do this on my own, but he gives grace and he gives us the ability then in his strength to do all those things that we never thought we could do. Well, we're talking about exercising humility. Well, shame is all wrapped up in itself, just like you were describing. It's to the point where we can just get stuck there and we just don't know how to extricate ourselves. Um, Think about what you say to yourself when you feel ashamed, like I'm a failure. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'll never amount to anything. Um, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. See, it's all about me. That's pride. Uh, shame is pride. Sin shame is pride turned in on itself. Um, but humility, on the other hand, accepts God's assessment of me um, as imperfect, but it focuses not on me, but on God's goodness, on God's bigness, on God's love, on God's grace. Humility says I'm unworthy because of my sin, and I own that. But God loves me and accepts me because of who Christ is. And he gives my life meaning and I'm going to live that way. So I have a comparative chart in my booklet on page 41 uh, that contrasts the mindsets of shame and humility. And it shows them to be the polar opposites that they really are. Um, For example, functionally, humility believes that God's character is good and it acts accordingly and and it submits to God's purposes no matter if those purposes are difficult or not um, it it pursues meaningful direction in life according to what what God says is meaningful but shame focuses on and submits to self-condemnation because it believes that God is distant and uncaring or harsh and punitive so it's it's going to focus on self-condemnation and it's going to feel meaningless because God doesn't love me. It folds in on itself in despair or it destroys itself in or, or other people in its anger. So humility is actually the opposite of shame. It, it recognizes my imperfect re- humanity realistically, but it doesn't focus there. It focuses faith and hope in God as my redeemer and the lover of my soul. So Jesus humbled himself, right? Um, he laid aside his glory for my sake because he's good and he wants me to be saved. So he despised shame by claiming his rightful identity and his purpose And if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't despised shame and chosen humility, we'd all be lost right now. So he he defeated sin's power over us through his humility and through pushing away shame 
and embracing humility. Humility utterly believes God's word mm-hmm. about God's character, about God's disposition toward you and me, um, and his redemptive plan for humanity that reaches it reaches anybody who is going to turn to him for forgiveness is going to find redemption. So by exercising humility, you are denying shame. You're putting it away. They can't coexist because one denies the other. It's like the flesh and the spirit deny each other. You can't walk in the flesh and in the spirit at the same time. Yeah. One one of the big things that I, I do every day is I pray for three things, faithfulness to God, faithfulness to his word and focus, focus on, you know, what's, what's supremely important. And then one of the third things is humility. And, and that's just, this is a big thing because what is a humility like you're talking about? It helps us to recognize who we are in light of God. You know, mm-hmm. We're like Isaiah six, who, who am I? I'm a man of unclean lips. Right. You know, and, and what does God do? He cleans his lips. Yes. Really, you know, and, and what does God come and do? He cleans, cleans our hearts and, you know, and takes us. delight in doing that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's so important. Like we can exercise humility. What is, what is that? I think it's important to talk about that because, you know, when somebody gives you a compliment, what do you do? You can say, thank you, you know, for your kind, encouragement, encouraging words. And then you can say to them, hey, because it acknowledges the person, acknowledges their words and say, I'm going to offer that up to, to the Lord because mm-hmm. he, alone is, he alone is worthy. And yes. that, that, shows a, that shows humility, but it also acknowledges the person. It's not just some people. Well, praise the Lord. You know, thank you for your kind encouragement. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. I understand what that what that's saying, but you have to acknowledge the person. Thank mm-hmm. the person for, you know, they, they, they probably felt led by the spirit to, to share that you know, encouragement, that thought um, to, mm-hmm. to be an encouragement to you. And, and just acknowledge that it's it just, it's, it's a perspective shift. It's not just, okay, yes, we should give thanks to God. We should praise him for every good thing, but we should, we should thank the person and then offer it up because God's yeah. using that person, right. To, to, to encourage you. So encourage that person, give thanks to that person and give acknowledge the Lord for his, his goodness. Um, in, in giving that encouragement. that That's just one, I think, way that, you know, and be specific about that. Don't just say, okay, well, I'm, I'm thankful for, it doesn't have to be like a generic thing where you say, oh, I'm thankful for, like, you can be specific. Oh, you know, that actually really encouraged me because mm-hmm. I'm going through whatever. And I'm thankful for God's grace in, in that, and in that you share it because it helped me this way. And I'm going to thank the Lord here for this. These kind of things, they, 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 you know, they not only edify and encourage one another, but they also give thanks to God. And yes. I think that's one way that we can practically, or this can be practically fleshed out in, in mm-hmm. our relationship. And I think, to be honest, I think that this is probably one of the areas where we as Christians need to do better, a lot better, significantly yeah. better. And I'm, and I'm talking to myself here, like, <laughs> sometimes I'll be like, okay. And then afterwards, I'm like, did I, did I practice what I just said? No. And, and so I'm, I'm very guilty of, of you know, mm-hmm. what, what I'm saying. And I, and I can admit that, and that's mm-hmm. humility. So, but there's grace for that, isn't there? There is, there is, <laughs> there's also conviction from the Holy spirit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So how can the local church help those experiencing shame? Well, I think the most important thing the church can do is preach the true gospel, the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and then emphasize and exemplify how Jesus Christ's redemptive plan reaches every crevice of our lives. Um, I like the way you give examples, Dave, because that's, I think, what the church needs to do. We need to hear again and again about the completeness of forgiveness in Christ and the purpose of sin shame for the believer as an act of God's mercy, not as a condemnation, as a reminder of our need for him, because that's kindness. Um, We have a purpose as we follow him, as we yield to him, as we reflect him to a world that's lost, as we reflect him to one another. It's learning how to love God and others as Christ has shown us and, and has empowered us to do. And the church needs to exemplify and teach help us to see how to do that better. And also, I think the local church can demonstrate how to break the power of provoked shame. 
by identifying the fear of man. I don't think we do that enough. Um, we, we need to call that out in each other, help each other see where we're, we're fearing others, and then accepting and loving each other well, um, defining our identity in Christ. Who are we in Christ? Christ overcame provoked shame by forgiving people, serving people, speaking the truth in love, considering the needs of others, and we can all do those things too. In fact, he calls us to follow him, right? And, and if we're going to follow him, we need to do those things. Um, one thing that can be helpful is to spend some time in Ephesians chapter one and look at who our, what our identity is in Jesus Christ, and then study the one another's in scripture and learn how to carry those out in love. And there are a number of helps that we can have, a number of books that we can use to help us to learn how to do that um, in scripture. But I think also the church can challenge people to honestly evaluate what we want so much that we can't live without it, okay? And that, that pointing to the attributes of God that directly apply there, for example, um, I'm feeling ashamed because I want control over something and I can't have that control that I want. I want my health to improve or I, I want a promotion at work or I want people to like me on social media and they don't. And I don't get what I want. So are my feelings of shame indicating that I want these things too much so that I would turn away from humility I would forget my purpose. I would forget my identity in Christ and doubt his goodness because he didn't give me what I want. That's a big subject. That's the idols of the heart. Uh, but it can play heavily into the reasons why we feel ashamed. And the church needs to do more teaching on that, I think. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think as you're talking, one of the biggest things that we don't do well is even in, in pastoral ministry, we're almost told, uh, classes where, where almost it's almost thought, well, you shouldn't share about yourself because what people, the congregation is going to hear is it's going to be all about you. And I mean, I understand what that, I understand what that is, but like you're talking about, it's, it's a weakness because it's, it's, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that you get up, the pastor gets up there, or the teacher or whatever, the preacher gets up there and sits there and, you know, flaps about themselves or, or anything like that. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that I'm saying we have to, we have to, uh, at some times, sometimes in very appropriate ways say, Hey, you know what, when I'm talking about this, I'm struggling with that too. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have this all figured out or, okay. you know, like, here's an example where I blew it. And that's actually, a, a, I think that's a really appropriate thing. And then you can say, but this is what I've learned about, you know, this, and you know, you can make it biblical. It doesn't have to be like, okay, well, you're talking about yourself. Like right. it's okay to use yourself as an example. And we, we don't, we don't, we don't, do that. Like Paul says that he sh has a struggle. We don't know what that struggle is, that thorn in the flesh, but mm -hmm. we know that God's using that to, in, in, to shine his weakness, the weakness of his human frailty. And, and it's okay to use ourselves as an, as an example in an appropriate way, of course, as I just explained, yeah. we have to do that because otherwise people are just going to think, Hey, look at me. I got to be a super Christian. I got to have it all figured out. I've got to put, put out my chest out and puff up. And that's pride. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the opposite of, of the kind of, uh, you know, biblical manhood and womanhood that, that God says that we're supposed to. I mean, for, for goodness sake, Paul, this is the apostle Paul that said, follow me, imitate me, right? First Corinthians 11, one, mm -hmm. uh, imitate me as I, what imitate Christ. When do we see Christ Christ in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He was, he was weak in his, not in his divinity, but in his, in his deity, in his but in his humanity, mm -hmm. in his humanity. And he was crying. He's shedding blood in anguish for, you know, he knew that, you know, that what he was going to go do is it, it was about to be the appointed hour, John would say, which was the hour of his crucifixion, his, his suffering, his appointed suffering, you know, mm -hmm. for us. And, you know, that's, this, this is, it's okay to be weak. In fact, if you can't be weak, if you can't acknowledge your, your weakness and, and somehow you're never going to, you can preach the, like, I can preach the daylights out of it. Um, but if, if what people need to see is they need to see 
how Christ is being formed in you. And I think that that is a real weakness, not only in contemporary preaching books, but in in just in Christian literature as well. Um, I would agree with you totally there. I think transparency is very important, but I don't think just transparency. I think it needs to be based upon, I've been in the scripture, I've been with God, I'm getting to know God, and here are some things he's teaching me. We can even do that daily through texts to friends. Oh, look what the Lord showed me in his word today. And I've been struggling with what I said to my husband. And I I was totally selfish in that. And I can see now that I need to go and ask his forgiveness. And this is because the Lord had me in Ephesians 5 or um, in Ephesians 4.32. And I'm, I'm trying now to live that way um, and, and asking people for help, for input as well, just being transparently available to receive instruction as well, to receive what other people are being taught in the word. Um, I think it helps as we deal with shame that we don't put on a church face, that yeah. we do admit, you know, I just feel like I'm worthless. I feel helpless. I feel stupid. Can somebody here help me? And if we really are loving one, loving God and one another as Christ would, we're going to want to help rather than to judge. But I think people are afraid. I think they, they're afraid of what other people are going to say. If we let down the guard. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, we have real unity, right? In the, we have real unity in, in Christ and by the spirit, we have union with, with Jesus. And that means that we, we should do what you're saying. You know, we should be able to admit our faults and our failures. We should be able to have real conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, but we should be able to have, because of that, real conversation and real dialogue and even even be able to say you know what i don't agree with you and that's okay too and in christian love we can disagree to you know on non-essential matters and uh still love each other still even be maybe be in the same church depending on what that is and you know um you know still love and care for each other no matter what yeah yeah I'm actually in a church that does that. And I'm so grateful um, that we can be trans. We're not perfect. We have a lot of learning to do. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that I do see those elements there and that it, it, it has been very healing to me as I have struggled with feelings of shame with all of the trials that I went through for about six years. Um, I felt like, well, maybe God doesn't really love me. Maybe he, maybe he is mad at me. Um, And those were feelings of shame. Those were not humble feelings. Those were feelings all about me. And to share that with my, with certain godly people in my church has made a lot of difference. So I think the church can do that. We can do that for one another, but we cannot be holding judgment on each other. We have to see each other through the eyes of Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us and then move forward from there. That's that's really good. Well, um, where can people go find out more about your work, either online, on, on social media or otherwise? Well, I, as I said, I'm retired right now, so I don't have a website or anything, but you can find my books on Amazon or through Shepherd Press, which is shepherdpress.com. And some of my other writings, if you're interested in that, in the Biblical Counseling Coalition website, which is biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. And if you're interested at all in my local church, I work through my local church now. Um, It's calvaryrapids.org. Cool. Awesome. Guys, check that out for sure. You know, there's a lot that we could talk about, and we really—I always say this—we always, we always only scratch the surface with these things. But just as we uh, wrap up, do you have any takeaways, Sue? Oh yeah, I I think it's important to remember that there are different types of shame. There are two different types of shame, um, and the fact that Christ answers both of them—that sin shame tells the truth about our guilt. I'm bad because of what I have done. Um, But that faith in Christ's sacrificial death means we have full forgiveness for sin shame. 
And then provoked shame tells a lie. I'm bad because of what other people think or do or say. Um, but then learning about Christ's kind of humility replaces provo provoked shame. Sorry, let me say that again. Learning Christ's kind of humility replaces provoked shame with biblical identity and biblical purpose. So it puts people's opinions into perspective so they don't control our well-being anymore. And then thirdly, I, I think it's important to get involved, vitally involved in a Christ-centered, gospel-preaching local church, because we need the body of Christ around us to help us even see. Um, a lot of times we're too close to situations and we don't see what we're doing or thinking is really um, hurtful to us. So it can help us sort out, the church can help us sort out shame biblically, what is sin shame and what is provoked shame, and then learn to believe and follow Christ's example by faith. Um, they do it in an exemplary way, but also just um, instruction. So all of these things I think are important if we're going to make progress in our shame. We'll see, you've done a wonderful job today. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you. By God's grace. <laughs> yes, uh, totally. <laughs> uh, you, you've done a good job and you've really served our listeners very well. So I'm very thankful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. Appreciate guys, the opportunity. Yeah. And guys, uh, I encourage you to pick up this uh, mini book, Help I Feel Ashamed, and go ahead and pick up the rest of the series. It's it's really good. You know, uh, like like uh, I've shared before on these, uh, I am writing a book on in this series uh, help. I can't find contentment. So again, thank you for your time and, uh, guys go pick up the series. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the equipping you and grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.